You are listening to Serve, Protect, Lead, a podcast from the International Association of Chiefs of Police, where you'll hear from law enforcement leaders sharing wisdom, insight, and perspective. My name is David Weinraub. This episode is funded by U.S. Department of Justice's COPS Office, and the department's full disclaimer notice is available at the end of this podcast. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the presentation are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the IACP or the COPS Office. Today, I'm joined by Sergeant Kevin Kinney of the South Dakota Highway Patrol and his wife, Megan, who supports family wellness work for the agency. Would you like to take a moment to introduce yourselves to our listeners? My name is uh, Sergeant Kevin Kinney, and I'm a headquarters sergeant with the state of South Dakota for the Highway Patrol. I've been with the agency for approximately 17 years, uh, just over that. And one of the roles that I have with the agency is working with officer wellness and staff wellness and helping our officers uh, learn how to be resilient in this uh, type of a job because uh, it tends to wear people out. So that's one of the things that I get to do in my role here at the Highway Patrol. Hi, my name is Megan Kinney, and Kevin and I have been married for almost 20 years. And like he said, we've uh, he's been with a law enforcement officer for 17. And so I have quite a passion for um, officer wellness and that, that involves families and their support for our officers. And um, we've kind of started some trailblazing within our own agency, and I'm excited to learn even more about officer wellness. We have four daughters, and so they keep us pretty busy too. Well, it's, it's great talking to you both today. So my first question for you guys is on types of trauma. So what forms of trauma are officers most vulnerable to as a result of the job? So I would say that from my perspective, I really think that the strongest one that officers experience has to do with cumulative stress. Uh, If you think about everything that a law enforcement officer does every day, they get sent to calls, one call after another. And typically, uh, they're not being sent to the calls that are, you know, happy and joyful. It's typically you're getting called to someone's worst day in their life or their worst day in their month. Uh, Sometimes you're at the same places repeatedly. But over time, those things continue to add stress to an officer's life. Uh, If you think about some of the more significant things that they get involved in, whether it's uh, crime scenes, uh, dealing with homicides or murders, assaults. Uh, In my line, I deal a ton with uh, car crashes. Um, You see crimes against children. And so all those types of things tend to build stress over time. And just having the ability to have mechanisms in place to be able to deal with some of those uh, stressors as a result of the job is extremely important. There's so many different things that can trigger it as well. If you think about uh, the victim's age, uh, you know, I have, like Megan said, we have four daughters. And when I go to a car crash involving younger kids and they're around the same age as my kids, it makes that a lot more difficult for me because I think of my kids as I'm they're dealing with that particular situation. And so those are things that can uh, continuously add stress and, and, and build in a person's life over time if, if they're not cautious and, and willing to either have, talk about it or have some mechanism in place to help deal with that, those, those traumas that they experience. And so if you think about uh, an officer over time as well, 
when when we join to become a, a whether it's a police officer, a deputy, or uh, a state trooper, or, or whatever line of work you're in, and for law enforcement, we're joining that because we want to help make changes in our community and 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 see the good in our community. And as a result, over time, we don't always see that, and so we we tend to start forming a negativity bias. And so it's really important to uh, to be able to see those things and identify them so that you can deal with them before they become bigger issues. Thank you for explaining what compound trauma is and the, as a form of trauma. So how does trauma, compound trauma play a role in officer burnout? Well, I think as, as you see over time, it's one of those things as it continues to build, um, officers will typically become, start to become callous of things. I, you know, at the beginning, you always see that there's a potential side of hope, but then as you continue to see the same things repeated over and over again, uh, it's, it's things that cause you to, to just really start to see the negative side of things in the world. And so that's, that's one of the things that, uh, that's most concerning to me is because I see that translating from the person's work life into their home life. And so over time, you start to become maybe withdrawn. Uh, you get to be more frustrated. Maybe your anger level increases. Uh, so things like that will cause you to uh, just become, like I said, that more callous over time. So that's a, that can be a problem because it, it, it affects your families. And then I was wondering if I could ask Megan, how are officers' families affected by both direct and indirect exposure to the trauma? I think the families are affected by, um, there's obviously a, a mood that's usually changed and they don't understand why a lot of times, um, especially small kids, they don't understand um, why daddy is maybe being short with them or, or mommy or why, um, why they have to spend so much time away from them or why, you know, all the, the things, they don't understand everything that goes on with that. And so I think that has a huge impact too. And I think even spouses don't always understand what it is that they, what their, what their um, officers going through, they are in that line of work. And so they don't see it all. And so if there's not a great communication there, they don't understand everything. It can be very confusing to the family as well. Thank you. You, you both have just detailed how an officer and their family can develop trauma and experience trauma and how they each feel different traumas that an officer can be exposed to. But there have to be ways that an officer can compartmentalize and decompress all of this. So why is it important for an officer to maintain a healthy work-life balance? Well, for my side of things, I think it's really easy to become over-invested in your job. Um, again, we're, we're getting into the position because we want to serve the public and we want to make a difference. Uh, but even for me, as, as we were going into this, uh, and I started, I realized that there was a number of times where I was sacrificing time with my family because I was uh, coming home and I would worked a late shift and I'd maybe arrested a drunk driver or maybe two. And the next day when I got up, instead of spending time with my family and, and going on a walk or doing something like that, I was typing the report <clears throat> and I would you know, I wanted to get that report done so that when I went out the next shift, I could focus on making that next arrest or stopping that next car. And so 
that became a problem uh, at home because it was it was literally taking time away from my family when I'm getting paid to do that thing at work or to write those reports at work. And so you really have to learn how to balance things at the beginning because we're running a marathon, not a not a short sprint. And so at the beginning, you have lots of motivation, really excited. And so you just want to get back out there and make a big difference. But if you continue to do that, it continues to compound on your family. And so being able to recognize that right away uh, and to have that balance, I think just really helps helps us as a family. And, and I've realized that it helped us as a family. Uh, made me more aware of things my kids were doing, uh, just different activities with other family members. Uh, and so it helped me to stay connected when I, when I was able to put that, that boundary in place. So what are some of the ways that family members can support an officer transitioning from work to home, on duty to off duty and vice versa? I think understanding that uh, the, the officer needs that time when they're transitioning, when they get home and they need a little, I can't, I can't come up to Kevin right away and give him my to-do list, even though I really want to because he's been gone and it's been piling up. Or maybe the kids have been uh, frustrating that day and I just want him to take over for a little bit. I have to understand that he needs that time to just decompress and, um, and to think about the day so that he can make that transition. Also, I think it's one thing that helped me the most is to remember that sometimes his job has to come first. There are times when there's an emergency and as, as a, a crash reconstructionist, he got called out. There was a point that there weren't a whole lot of them in our district. And so he was getting called out a lot and missing, um, you know, piano recitals and uh, different things. And, and I had to remember that those were the important parts that it was okay for his job to come first. But at the same point, he had to remember there were calls that he would get that were IT questions or questions that he could say, you know, I'll, I'll call you back in 10, 15, even an hour and um, and discuss this with you. Um, he didn't need to take that call that second. And so I think understanding that balance between what was important and what was an emergency and what could wait was important for both of us to learn. Another thing is that I have learned to have contingency plans in place. So if we have a plan and we have a, a family day night or we're going to go even on a trip sometimes, I've had to have a contingency and find another date that would work and try to be flexible when an emergency arises. Um, I've had to have babysitters on standby in case he got called out and he was supposed to watch the kids and there was something that I needed to do. And so then I wasn't so frustrated and disappointed when my ideas and my plans didn't work out the way they were supposed to. I think for, uh, from my perspective too, that transition time is really important. And I think it's different for every agency, I, you know, and even the biggest difference I see is between, you know, the city and the County and the state, <clears throat> like for instance, you know, I work for the, for the highway patrol in the state of South Dakota. I wear my uniform, I put it on at work or I'm sorry, I put it on here at the house and I go out to the car and I'm working. I don't uh, do what a city officer does, which is they are typically, they change into their uniform down at the office and then they go to work down there. And so there's some transition periods there that are different for, for each person. And I think it's really important for uh, each officer to figure out a way that 
they can transition that's that's healthy for them. So when I come home, I'm really excited to be able to see my kids, and I want to. I'm excited because they always want to come up and give me a hug, and I, uh, oh, you're home, you're home. It's really exciting. So I uh, I look forward to that. It helps me realize that hey, I'm at home now, and I still have my uniform on, and so my kids uh, know that. All right, hey, I've given my dad a hug. Now he's got to go up and he's got to get changed. And so that time where I get to change out of my uniform and put on just regular clothes, that's a time that I use to kind of just try to process through my day and figure out some of the stuff that happened, if there's anything that I need to uh, deal with or whatever. But that's a time of transition for me. And, uh, and my my family is very respectful of that. They let me They let me take some time to do that. And uh, it makes the rest of the day seem to go a lot better, in my opinion. You both just gave many great examples on the ways that family can support an officer. But are there any other ways in which family members can support the work-life balance, given the expectations of the officer's job or role? I think the key, that the overarching key for this is intentionality. Uh, I have to be very intentional and making sure that I'm spending time not just as a family, but as a, with individual people in my family. So, uh, having a, a date night with my daughter, or it could be as as easy as uh, a couple of the kids are going to do a sleepover, and so the rest of us, you know, we'll order Chinese food, and I'll uh, I'll ride in the car with my daughter to go pick up food. Well, we spend that time that together, being able to talk about stuff. And to see how their day is going and to see things that are affecting them. And, and so there's some real intentionality in there. And you have to make sure that you're taking those opportunities uh, when they're available. And that you're not just coming home and changing and sitting on the couch and watching TV. You know, you got to communicate with each other. I do think that um, being supportive of our officers taking time for themselves is super important too. Um, finding if they have a hobby that they love, spending time with their friends that understand what they're going through too. Um, and so not, not being so frustrated when they are finding times that helps them um, just process everything they're going through as well and, and um, encouraging some of that as well. I see myself as the encourager and to encourage my husband because he, he goes through so much more than I don't experience. And so kind of, you know, encouraging him to spend time with, with some of his friends and um, yeah, so I think that's important as well. Well, I would just add on top of that too, you know, Megan had said spending time with friends. That's one of the things that I see uh, officers as well. They, uh, when they start this career, they typically have a, a ton of friends, whether they're, friends in law enforcement or uh, just friends in general. And as an officer gets more involved in their work um, over time, their friend list starts to be uh, more law enforcement officers than it is people outside of the law enforcement realm. And so I think that's another uh, strategy or thing that is just beneficial for us to have as, as officers is to have friends outside of law enforcement. And I know there's, times where it's a little frustrating because everyone wants to hear the stories or to find out what you've been doing. Uh, but it also gives us time to process and, and to tell some of those stories too. People really enjoy hearing them and we may have told them a number of times, but it's, it's, it's also a way to connect with other people and uh, to just continue to build those relationships. 
So I want to build off that last point about telling stories and communications, because I'm assuming there are things that can't be discussed or are very hard to discuss with family members. So what are some examples of boundaries to set when talking about the officer's work while off duty? Uh, for me, I, I think it's going to be indiv- it's going to be different depending on each individual, but I think that comes with communication and just knowing your spouse. I know that there's certain things that I want to come home and I want to be able to share and to like talk about. And, you know, there's craft scenes that I want to want to tell my wife about. And I'm, you know, partially I'm excited about some of the stuff I've seen only because uh, it's something that I have a a strong interest in figuring out how these things happened and how they occurred. Uh, But then there's certain aspects of the craft scene that, uh, that are not fun. Uh, and some of those things are the things that can build up in somebody's head if you don't have the opportunity to talk about them or to process those things. And so I know that my wife is really supportive when I come home and there's those items that I want to talk about, but I know that she has a limit as well. And so she, there's certain things like she doesn't want to hear about. And so as I'm having those conversations with her, I try to be respectful of not sharing details about a crash scene that she might find uh, disgusting or, uh, you know, just disturbing or things that, you know, she doesn't want to remember, she doesn't want to think about. And so I'm trying to, I try to be respectful of that. And I expect that when I am sharing with her that if I, if I'm going too far, you know, I would want her to tell me. And I know that she doesn't always do that, but um, that's something that helps us as a couple because it gives me an opportunity to process as well. Yeah, I think it's important to be available to listen to Kevin when he wants to talk about his job. And it could be something that traumatic that happened, or it could just be venting about different things at work, Um, whatever it is. I think it's important to be there to listen. A lot of times I can't contribute to a solution. Sometimes I can, but a lot of times I can't. But just being there to listen to him and and to make sure that he's doing okay, especially mentally and emotionally, and um, for him to be able to just share that his feelings there to know that I'm a safe person, that I'm not going to go and talk to somebody else about it. I'm not going to go gossip to my friends or even my family, my parents, um, but that I'm a safe person where he can come and talk to and it's going to stay with me. And also uh, with our children, I think we're very careful about what we share that with them, but also we share enough to know that that they understand that when dad's gone, it's for an important reason. Um, you know, whether it be there was a, a car crash and he needed to go to that or if it was something else, we try to share enough to where they understand that it's really important that he's gone, but not enough that they are upset or worried about him. So being able to emotionally support each other and set these type of boundaries and be able to have those conversations takes a lot of emotional intelligence. Can you explain what emotional intelligence is? Well, I wish I could give you a great definition of emotional intelligence. Uh, So we might want to, this is a part where we might want to change it up just a little bit and uh, talk about some of the like learned optimism and such. So I'm going to pause for just a second so you can cut out all that stuff I just said. For me, I think one of the key things of building resiliency in a person's life is to have ways to be able to deal with the stress that you experience. And that's, that's, that's resiliency at the heart of it. And one of the things that we do as a family 
uh, which we actually just started this uh, last November. We did it with our kids uh, because of Thanksgiving. We did uh, a portion of the Valor training that I'm also an instructor for. Uh, it's called Hunt the Good Stuff. And it's just taking time out of our day to really reflect on things that happened in our past, whether that day or within that week of things that were good that happened or things that we're excited about and encouraging our kids to talk about those things. One of the things that that does is it goes back to some of the stuff we talked previously about the cumulative stress and going to call after call after call of negative things. Uh, those, those things lead to a negative bias. And so we want to really take time to uh, find the good thing that happened and be able to share it with each other. And sometimes you get surface level stuff. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited that it snowed today or whatever, but sometimes it's really fun to hear the things that each other have to share about the things they're excited about. And because we practice that at home, I, uh, my, especially, I mean, I mean, I know this is good for my kids because now they go through the day and they're preparing themselves to be able to talk about this because every night we say, uh, we pray together and, and then we take an opportunity to say, hey, what's something that's going on that's good you're excited about? So now they're going through the day thinking about, man, I, can, I wonder what's happening good today that I can share with everybody tonight. And so it's training their mind to really think about the good things that are happening. And as a law enforcement officer, it's really good because uh, with all the calls that we end up going to, uh, and then I, I start to look for what's the good in this? Like what's something that's happening that uh, we can see the positive side. And so it really helps us to avoid becoming uh, callous and, and not being able to see the positive things that are going on uh, in the community around us. So you talked about all those, those strategies. How can an officer continue to build their emotional intelligence and overall resiliency. Are there any tricks or tips that you can provide? I know, like I had mentioned, I'm one of the Valor instructors and the whole intention of the Valor training is to be able to give the, give different skill sets to officers. And it's been interesting as we started to implement that in our agency, uh, I had a few of the, few of the officers come to me and say, oh man, there's no way I can do all of those things. Well, <laughs> it was kind of funny because the, the point of the training isn't to make people do every single thing that you're teaching. Uh, the point of that, the training is to really get them to pick up on a, a couple key things that, hey, I bet this would work for me. And so just being intentional and, and picking out some of those, those skill sets, like the one that I talked about was hunt the good stuff uh, is what they would call that. And you don't have to call it hunt the good stuff at home, but that's what you're doing. You're practicing that skill set of looking for the good in the world around you. Uh, you know, there's other things that you can do. I think it's really difficult in our, in this day and age to take time uh, to listen to somebody when they're talking to you. Um, if you, I'm sure everybody uh, that's listening has, has had a time where, or they have a friend that they can go to and they can talk to and they feel really important when the conversation is over because that person is really good at listening to them. And I think it's a skill that we can all practice. We need to be able to hear what they're saying. And then we need to be cautious in our response too. 
Uh, we don't want to try to steal any of their excitement or joy that they're experiencing or try to one-up them and say that we're better because we did something a little bit more exciting than that. Uh, it's an opportunity for us as people to, to build one another up. And so, so there's lots of little skill sets that, that come with, with that Valor training that will help people to build uh, resilience over time. So shifting gears a little bit to talk about the agency, the role of the agency. So what strategies or practices can an agency implement to build resiliency and assist trauma-exposed officers? Again, I think when it comes to the agency, it's almost similar to the family. They need to be intentional in providing opportunities uh, for training on resilience, for that uh, giving officers the ability to uh, have skill sets in place to be able to manage those stress levels. And so having an opportunity like a, like a program like Valor to, to give officers can be really uh, important. And I think that one thing we need to be intentional about as an agency as well is it's not just a one-time training that you give to somebody and call it good. This is a tr uh, training that it should be from the start of your career all the way to your to the finish of your career and so as they come through the academy uh, to get their training we should be taking their family in and helping them understand what types of things their loved one is going to be experiencing and help them to know that they're taken care of and that they're they're well and that they're going to uh, be able to take those skills and to move it into their career and then at the end of their career as well, uh, we want to help officers transition back into the world. I, I see a number of people that, that retire and they have a difficult time sometimes uh, finishing law enforcement. There's a reason that the retirement age for law enforcement is supposed to be uh, earlier than any other retirements. And it's because of that cumulative stress level that people experience. And so having a way to help somebody transition into a different role and not just finish one law enforcement career to start another law enforcement career uh, to start another one uh, is something that I think it would be important to help help people transition and to have a, a healthy retirement and to enjoy uh, their time that they have that, that's been really given to them as a gift uh, to, to go do something a little bit different and to still enjoy life and to uh, enjoy that retirement that they've earned. So how can agencies engage families in building resilience? I think one of the best ways that they can help is to provide opportunities for families to get together and to get to know each other so that they can support each other. Being a police spouse or a child of a police officer is super hard in, at points. And so if they can have other children that they can talk things through or other spouses that they can talk through some of their struggles that they're having and just have someone else that they can encourage them and um, even give them some advice and some pointers is, is great, but that's hard to do if you don't know them and you don't have a relationship with them. We, um, we started a Facebook page a few years ago. It's been, it's been close to 10 years ago and it's great way for, it's just a group, it's private, it's just for spouses of the, with the higher patrol in our state. Um, and it's great to encourage each other and we use it to, if there's a need, we can meet that need. 
but it doesn't replace that face-to-face time. So I think encouraging uh, encouraging times when they can come together and even do fun things together and just meet each other and build that relationship is super important. And, and agencies um, can help do that by sponsoring themselves and encouraging the officers and their families to go to it. And for me, I would say that I would agree with Megan 100%. I, I think that agencies, again, need to be intentional in taking those opportunities. And it's going to be different for every agency. Uh, a city police department that's meeting you know, within a city, it's easier for those folks to be able to get together and to have those types of meetings where uh, you're going to be around a bunch of other law enforcement spouses. Whereas a state agency, we're spread out across an entire state. And so to have an event uh, for spouses of a state agency looks a lot different than it does for a city agency or a county agency. But I think just the intentionality of making sure that those opportunities exist and that it's not a last minute planning. Like you need to give them enough time to be able to plan ahead so that we can have childcare in place for our kids. And uh, so if the training or the opportunity is in a different city, that it gives them time to be able to plan for that, to be a part of it. So I'm really excited for what Megan and uh, one of the other Highway Patrol spouses has done with the, the spouse page and just trying to keep a way of having communication open amongst the spouses so that if something does happen, they have a way to reach out to other people that they know and that they've had some communication with. Uh, but there's there's definitely room for improvement, whether it's uh, having events at uh, district-wide meeting or just squad-level meetings or even a statewide meeting. Um, there's, there's different opportunities for events there, whether it's a Christmas party or uh, even just a fun event or having a speaker come in to talk about child you know, safety on the internet, you know, just a time to be able to get together and hear a speaker and then have time to uh, sit around and talk with each other. Yeah, I was going to point that out too, that we've had some, we've had a few very uh, great speakers that have come in and um, one was a debrief with spouses after a traumatic event that happened in our agency. And it was, it was well attended and um, the the spouses that were there uh, got a lot out of it, and it was um, it was just an amazing time to debrief and to talk about our feelings that had had sprung from this, and it was just and to meet other wives, but to support that in that area, along with having a professional there to help walk us through that debriefing as well. And we've had speakers that have come in and. Um, just given they've been police wives for a while and they've been able to share what their lives are like and what they learned. And that was, that was very helpful, helpful for me too. Well, I wanted to start by thanking you both for taking the time to speak with me today. It was great speaking with both of you and you provided so much good information on all of, on, on this entire topic. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. This project was supported in whole or in part by cooperative agreement number 2018-CKW-XK-008, awarded by the U.S. Department of Justice, Office of Community-Oriented Policing Services. And as always, the opinions contained herein are those of the speakers and do not represent the official position or policies of the U.S. Department of Justice. References to specific individuals, agencies, companies, products, or services should not be considered an endorsement by the speakers, IACP, 
or the U.S. Department of Justice. Rather, the references are illustrations to supplement discussion of the issues. Thanks for listening to today's episode. You can visit learn.theiacp.org slash podcast to view show notes from today's episode and to find additional ways you can learn from leaders in the field.